Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. We have a packed program for you today. Sarah Foster with Bankrate.com. She's an analyst and she's here to talk about seven unique ways to prepare for an unusual recession. I can't wait to hear what she has to say about an unusual recession. I, so, all right. We have some specific questions from some of you that have sent them in. Jeff has um, got a great question. It's more of a statement. He says, I can't take it anymore. Explanation point. I believe the market, the stock market is going to drop another 20 points. I'm getting out of my ca- going to cash in my 401k. Tell me why I shouldn't do that. It's a great question, great comment, and I think we've got an answer to helping him get through this noise that's going on. Also, Tony has asked us a very serious question about Medicare supplements. How do I shop for the best plan? Seems like if I respond to the mail or the media that I listen to on television, I only get one opinion. So how do I make a good choice? What's well, a great question. But first, we want to welcome Sarah Foster, Bankrate.com analyst. Lady, you are a great guest. We always appreciate you being on the program with us. And um, so welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. And I always enjoy being back here. So it's likewise. All right. Well, you talk about this unusual recession. I, I love the fact. I mean, I know that, you know, making sure that our finances, are, you know, on stable footing is very, very important. And doing it long before a recession, it's, a, it's an important step. I want to hear you talk about what you would say to people about this unusual recession, and you don't have to define that. I think we all can understand that unusual, it's a recession. Every one of them, some seems like they're different, some not so bad, some very bad. And uh, But what would you say to us when you talk about stable footing long before a recession occurs? That's so important. Some of those thoughts. Yeah, well, I will say, you know, what's so unusual about what's happening right now is Normally, when you're in a recession, you pretty much know it. But this debate right now of are we in one, are we not in one, I think that's making it very hard for Americans to prepare for a downturn. And especially when you think about what they've lived through over the past two and a half years. Uh, I mean, it's, it seems like first with the coronavirus pandemic and then obviously, of course, with 40-year high inflation that's really eating away at their purchasing power fastest Fed rate hikes in 40 years, and now, of course, recession risks uh, back on the table again. It's kind of like the hits to their wallets just keep on coming. And so we're really kind of seeing this instance of so-called recession fatigue, where people are just kind of burnt out about preparing for uh, any kind of downturn. But, you know, obviously, as you noted, importantly, taking steps to prepare for a recession happened long before a recession begins. And so it's really important to just try to limit that burnout and focus on, you know, the why behind preparing for recessions. And it's just as much as making sure you can, you know, cover your day-to-day expenses, your bills, as it is making sure that you can still have fun 
and enjoy your life in a downturn. Yeah, I know. When we were talking about the program, you said one of the things that so many people need to really move, and we talk about this all the time here on the program, is to start saving money and, and think twice about buying that big ticket purchase, which, I mean, I've seen more cars pour, purchased in 2022. I mean, it's amazing. And, and Memphis, we, we just, I mean, new tags. I mean, just one, every time you're driving, you can count four, five, six new tags when you stop at a red light. So people are spending money for the big ticket items, but you're selling to us, maybe slow down a little bit, maybe begin to prayer. You talked about saving money. So what about the big ticket items? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there is this kind of misconception in personal finance that saving requires you to cut back on everything that brings you joy, even those things that are like $5 coffees or a meal out every now and then. And I think the message we really want to get across is that every now and then is the secret. I mean, those things aren't really going to break the bank. In the long run, it's really those big ticket purchases, those major financial obligations that you're often required to keep paying when the economy is strong and when the economy isn't so strong. And so I think uh, really at the end of the day, limiting those purchases is the best kind of route, especially when you're trying to find ways to cut back and save more, which those of us who live paycheck to paycheck, which is, uh, you know, we've seen through time and time again through several bank rate surveys that that is very common. Uh, finding ways to save can be pretty challenging. Yeah, that's so important. And, you know, it's I recently was doing some traveling, and, and amazing, the airplane was full, the airport's busy. You go out to a restaurant if you don't have a reservation. In some cities, it's like you can't get in. So people, the consumer, are still spending. In fact, some core fundamentals, when you talk about the unusual side of a recession, you mentioned earlier, I think of the three things that I look at is what's the consumer doing, what is corporate America doing? And then what's the job status? And right now, all three of those seem to be more optimistic than maybe we should be. And that's why we're struggling. I, I hear you why we're struggling with this thought of recession. We don't seem to feel that uh, any pain from any thought of that. And that's somewhat kind of good and yet somewhat kind of bad. It, it, when we don't see the fire, sometimes we're not you know, trying to put it out. But this, I think we might say that maybe the back of the house, there's smoke coming out the back door. We need to think about that. What do we do as we see the smoke coming? So you talk about maybe sitting back and not buying the big ticket items. And I know you mentioned emergency fund. We talk about you know making sure that you've saved for an emergency fund. Um, but I like the way you say this, build up the fun fun just as much as you build up the emergency fun. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, just kind of what you were noting earlier, I mean, it is such an important point here. I think, you know, saving begins when primes are good. And, in fact, you know, when you when the economy is strong, it's kind of it seems like it's the last time when you should be saving, but it's actually the most important time and I think, you know, what could kind of help people maybe get in the habit of savings more, which is, again, most important, is thinking about it in a different light. It's, you know, the reason why we talk about saving more and having an emergency fund isn't so much about making sure that you can cover those unplanned expenses or even help you get through job loss. It's all about really making sure you can continue to live comfortably when the economy isn't so strong. So, I think something that was really eye-opening in a lot of our bank rate surveys is that we've seen, for example, younger generations feeling kind of financial apathy in a way where they don't want to take step, te steps to prepare for a recession and they aren't prepared for a recession. 
But I think uh, it kind of leads to, you know, this isolation, especially in downturns, you know, when everybody is telling you that you should, you know, stop spending, you know, live, uh, you know, frugally. But that fun fund, if we think about it, that can help you still enjoy your life even when the economy is in a recession. Yeah, you know, when you say the economy and when we think about it and you, you, we, we, you know, you hear it. But again, when you don't, as you said, you don't really feel like it. I mean, jobs right now, you know, all time low. Corporate America seems to be, you know, moving forward in a very strong pace. I mean, we've talked about some things, even even things are still a little bit overpriced. I mean, we just and, and a consumer seems to be optimistic. But now you actually say in one of your points that I think is so critical, you talk about using the job market to your advantage. Now explain that to us because I think I think sometimes when you're when you don't feel the pain, as you said, you don't really prepare. But what do you mean when you say use the job market to your advantage? Yeah, well it, it kind of goes back to the data that we've seen about the job market where even though it looks like some storm clouds could be on the horizon, we still have a half century low unemployment rate. We still have pretty close to two jobs for every unemployed worker. And so that's really giving a lot of individuals the opportunity to not only find something that's better for them, but to also negotiate for things like higher pay, which obviously the more money you make, uh, that can be a significant kind of earnings that you can then recycle back into your emergency fund, your fund fund, however you want to look at it. And so I think what's really important right now is just making sure that you are using this strong job market to your advantage because while it is looking great right now, experts do say that, you know, the time is coming where it won't be so hot. And so you don't really want to be caught in that situation maybe if you were interested in negotiating or interested in switching jobs and uh, the job market isn't so strong as it could, not, as it could be maybe in the future. You know, when I, I think when you talk about in the future, you really do. And we're going to interview someone next week that is a, a Ph.D. here at, in City, And he's going to talk about the job market. And really, he does a lot of training for a lot of companies and, and, and really what he's seeing in the market. But you actually mentioned the fact that doing this training now is a time when you might be saying, OK, what am I bringing to the to the marketplace Am I really as valuable as I want to think I am? Of course, everybody, you want to you want to have that, you know, self-image that yes, I'm valuable. But then, as you spend the money to you know to to train yourself better, you are making yourself more valuable. How important do you see that in the, in this particular time? Is that what is that going to look like in 24 months? Yeah, well, I think that is especially important. I would really call it you know speaking the language of your business. Uh, so just as, you know, businesses are evaluating good investments, things that could bring them a good return, you want to be thinking about that as your own individual worker, kind of how you bring value to your company and how you can, you know, contribute to your company's success. And I think the reason why it's important is while it is easier to negotiate for higher pay right now when the job market is so strong and when employers are really clamoring for more work, a lot of times they still want a reason why to give you higher pay. And so I guess what that means, you know, is uh, going to the table and saying, I want a raise just for the sake of getting a raise is going to be a lot harder than it would be if you sat with your you know, employer and asked them, you know, I want a raise for these reasons. I think, you know, any kind of uh, feedback, any kind of reasoning that you can give them about why you are a good and strong worker is going to be really important. 
And when it comes to the outlook, again, it's the, the question is kind of about, you know, how long will this window be, of opportunity be open? And the fear is, is that eventually a year or two down the line, it might not be. Wow, that's so important. I think that's extremely valuable. If you just tuned in, my guest is Sarah Foster. She is a bankrate.com analyst, and uh, they do a ton of work doing surveys. And we're talking about what do you do to prepare for a recession, an unusual recession, one that literally, when you look at the, you know, basically we talk about the employment rate being at an all-time low. We talk about corporations still moving strong. But, uh, you know, what are, we, what are we preparing for? Consumer sentiment is still very positive, and a lot of people talk about inflation maybe beginning to decline. But she's giving us some really strong market thoughts when we, when we put our minds together. You know, don't be so involved in impulse spending. Don't buy the big-ticket items. That's so important. I love the fact that you said, uh, Sarah, that you said do a fun fun and an emergency fund, that's so strong. And then this point where you just made, this is the perfect time to reevaluate what you are, just really look at your skills and say, what skills do I need to be adding to my resume in order to make myself very, very employable when all of this changes, when things begin to change in the recession? That's so strong. When you talk about uh, not changing your investing approach, boy, that is something we preach a lot. So what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I think uh, an economist I talked to has a really good way of looking at it. And he likes to say, you know, the worst time to invest is when everybody loves investing, when people see no (laughs) risk in the market. And often the best time to invest is when people only see risk in the market. And I think that really rings true here. Uh, especially when you look at last year and those record highs that we saw in the stock market, uh, you can see some significant buying opportunities. And a lot of those companies are heavily discounted today than they were a year ago. And I think, uh, you know, staying the approach with your, uh, sticking to your investing approach is going to be very important because a lot of times it's those decisions that you make right now when the markets are kind of getting a beating that can pay off in the end and especially help you for saving for retirement and other long-term goals. Well, that's that's critical. We preach that. We, we you know, it, it, when you're a long-term investor, this is now the time to just steady the course. And, and as you say, just, you know, don't get caught up in the noise. But you really, you mentioned one thing. When you think about these things, when you're saying some fundamentalist to planned for a recession to to prepare for a recession one of the things that i think is so important is one of your last thoughts here that you say don't or change not 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 change but change your personal finance mindset help me with that that is so critical i think sometimes we get caught up and sometimes we we don't even realize that we're moving in a direction that we shouldn't be so i like the fact that when you say changing the way you think about money might help improve your relationships within it, with it with it. I love it. Think about how you change your concept about money. That's great. Help me with that. Yeah. Well, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about too with the fun fund. And again, you know, one of the ways that you can increase your savings is just by building the habit. And a lot of times Americans, especially those who really felt like the hits just keep on coming, don't want to save because they, especially after the coronavirus pandemic, they feel like they just started to get their lives back. But I think changing the mindset about personal finance and realizing that, hey, it's not just about living 
scarcely, so you can't buy anything. So you have to always be saving. You always have to be investing. Instead, it's about thinking about what your long-term goals are and aligning those habits up with them to help you achieve it. Because at the end of the day, you know, money is what can help you retire early. Money is what can help you buy a house. And it's all about making sure that you can get there with your finances, not the other way around. Ways to prepare for an unusual recession when you have recession fatigue. Wow, that's, that is a great line where you put that together, Sarah. Did a great job. Smart. Start small, she says, with your savings, but think twice about buying big-ticket purchases. Build up a fun fund as well as a, an emergency fund. So, so critical. Use the job market now to your advantage, but still work on building your skills. And that is so critical. It's so easy to do. And sometimes the last thing we think about, don't charge your, in, you know, don't change, excuse me, don't change your investing approach or don't stop investing altogether. That's so critical. I like the last one you shared with Sarah, the bottom line, change your personal finance mindset. Embrace what you're doing. Embrace what you're trying to accomplish and and think it through. That was so critical. Sarah Foster, she is with bankrate.com. She's an analyst and always a guest of ours, frequent guest of ours, does a great job. Sarah, again, you just knocked it out of the park. You always do. Thank you so much, lady. Have a great day. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. All right. Thank you, ma'am. All right. We've got questions, and I have two people in the studios with us today, and they are, of course, uh, smart folks, and they always do a great job. They're experts at it. Both of them are certified financial planners, Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. Both of these guys do a great job. We've got some common market questions, but we want to lean in on this first question that we really need to talk about because we just got a few minutes, and I'm going to just simply say, guys, it's Jeff's question. He says, how do I... Well, it's a statement. He says, I can't take it anymore. I believe the market, the stock market, is going to drop another 20 points. He says, I've just got to go to cash. Tell me why I shouldn't do that. Let's start with you, Scott. Wow. Wow. You know, and I, and I really understand the question. When you think about it, and Sarah alluded to this when she was talking, it's really been two years of chaos. We've had a hundred year pandemic. We had a highly contested partisan presidential race that wasn't decided on election day. Uh, we've had 40 year inflation numbers come in. Now we have a war in Ukraine. We have a midterm election coming up. You really can't blame an investor out there for saying, you know what? I just want to go to cash, get some rest, and come back when this thing feels a little better. It's a it's a very common question that we get. But, you know, what I would say is long-term, that's just not a great strategy to hit your goals. We've, you know, we really preach this a lot. Even Sarah mentioned it. You know, sticking with your strategy, having that long-term investment strategy and sticking with it through good times and bads, we know that that gives you a higher probability of hitting your goals over the long term. Well, that's such a critical question and quick comment. I think the, I want to remind you, if you've got a question for us, simply type it to Jim, J-I-M. That's our text line. The text line number is 901-683-0989. 
Just simply type Jim, J-I-M, to 901-683-0989, or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Scott, you did a great job. Steve, what did you got? Just a few seconds. Here. Yeah, well, you know, what is an investor? An investor is also a consumer. And according to uh, FactSet, the, uh, whenever you see the worst outcomes for the University of uh, Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey, the last eight troughs, the average return in the market 12 months later was 24.9%. So when everybody's getting scared, it's the time to get to get invested. And that's hard, but Jeff's, I mean, that's understandable. I can, sure. you, you really talked about it, Scott, all the news and the noise over the last two years, and yet past performance, of course, is not a predictor of future performance, but you've just given us the history for the last periods of many, many years and 50 years. Okay. When we come back, we're going to tackle Tony's question about Medicare, and we're going to dive into some common questions that are just very important. Literally, I mean, one of the biggest questions we're going to talk about is, will 2008 happen again, or is that what we're going to be looking at in 2023? We'll answer that question when we come back. Don't don't go anywhere. This is Talk Money, and I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Sarah Foster or Bankrate.com. The views and opinions expressed are those of Sarah Foster only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest in this half of the hour is Steve Anderson and Scott Jordan. We're talking about questions such as, is are we going to have another 2008? Is it really part of what we need to be planning for? You heard Sarah Foster in the first half of the hour talking about the unusual recession. And the reason why she used unusual, I think, was very appropriate. And the consumer sentiment right now is strong. We feel that inflation is maybe peaked and Maybe by the middle of next year, we'll be at four, maybe 5%, something as we continue to move. But that's the problem. Are we going to have a recession or not? What do you think, Scott, when we do when we deal with this? I want to ask both of you, but let's just talk about what are the key themes that we see that are driving this whole conversation around the markets and, and at the moment? Yeah, I think the election's in there, but I think it's really the inflation and, and even more specifically what the Fed is having to do to fight inflation. So the Fed has raised interest interest rates at a pretty, pretty rapid pace. And it's been a little bit of a shock to the market. So I still think that that is the key theme. That's also driving a lot of volatility in the bond markets. And I think we need to see those bond markets calm down and we need to see that we're getting close to an end to this Fed tightening cycle before we see some volatility calm down in the market. That's my opinion, I think. Well, and Steve, you lean in with inflation. You, you talk about inflation a lot. And so what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Inflation's a big deal. 
for, for the sake of the markets, it's not really, like Scott said, it's not really inflation. It's the Fed's reaction to inflation. The it, slow it, reaction? You think last year because they kept calling it transitory? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like, what is transitory? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think I used that word before last year. I was trying to think if I did. You know, I think 2020, it was unprecedented. That's unprecedented. That, that was then we went to transitory, yeah. but that's the problem. Maybe we were just a little slow from the get-go with inflation, and it got out of hand. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly possible. I do, I do find it interesting when you flip on the news, it almost doesn't matter which news source, but it's like the Federal Reserve uh, is just full of people who are incompetent. You know, I, I feel like sometimes you have to well, step well, back and say, you know, it, it, like that, that, well, the, I'm, I'm saying that that's the tone we get, yes, right? And, I get you. and so I don't even know, I, it seems like they were probably late. But we haven't finished this book yet. You know, we're, we're right. still in the middle of this. It's possible, like right now, um, to, to kind of get back on this idea of what is driving the market at the moment. It's the Fed. The, the big thing driving the market also at the moment is earnings. We're right in the heart of mm -hmm. third quarter earnings season. And what, what would be really interesting is if we see earnings continue to come in pretty strong across the board. Mm -hmm. Because if earnings stay strong then it's going to be really interesting as the Fed steps forward next week in November, uh, in the first meeting in November, and then in December, if earnings stay strong and inflation actually does start rolling over, which it's starting to look like it's going to do, then it becomes really interesting because we might get into next year, the Fed put, puts a pause on these rate hikes and we start to scoot out of this thing and everybody goes, oh my gosh, they might've gotten it right. You know, so we're, we're, it's still certainly possible that, that, that they might've started late, but they might come out. Okay. I like the fact that you said the book's not finished yet. We've only got about halfway through. And the reality is it's so easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. Oh yeah. And that's really what you see the media is doing. And yeah. sometimes it's so easy to criticize. How would you like to be in the chair of the fed and all the, you know, the chairman and all the, all the other fed individuals, you know, from each bank and they're having to make, these decisions. And, you know, I took enough economy economics in college to know that, uh, you know, I was great through micro. <laughs> yeah. And after that, I thought, you know, maybe I ought to look at us, maybe take a little more counting courses. Macro is a bit complex oh. when you try to control all those variables. It it's, is. It's and very so tough. you got a lot of pushes and pulls and it's just hard to get it all together. So let's don't criticize transitory was kind of a unique word, but the reality is when I think about it, there's two scenarios. The rates have to go up, as you said. Next week, we're going to see probably a rate height of 75 basis points. We expect that. The other scenario, if we think through this, the supply side has got to begin to free itself up and get that moving. The pandemic issues are lots of money. The supply side, if that begins to disinflate, then we could be out of this much, much quicker and much easier. The problem is everybody says, well, the Fed's going to have to orchestrate a soft landing. And we know their record when it comes to doing soft landings. They're not the best at that. And that may be the thing that a lot of people are trying to use that as noise to predict that and say, well, we're not going to have a soft landing. But it's hard to do that. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it's a little bit like trying to kill mosquitoes with grenades, you know, because raising interest <laughs> Boy, rates is great. Let me see, <laughs> wait a second. Let me look at that picture. Mosquitoes with grenades. I like that. That's a good, that's, that's a good mind yeah, picture Lots there. of mosquitoes. Yeah. But I mean, it is, it's, it's a very blunt instrument raising yeah. interest rates, right? right. And, and, and it has a very um, obvious and almost immediate effect in the housing market. So we can we can see the housing market has halted. I mean, yep. it's yeah. slammed the brakes on as a response to raising interest rates. But 
obviously raising interest rates doesn't do anything for the price of milk and eggs at the store. I mean, that hadn't changed, right? And so, yeah, they, they don't have control over everything, but they, I tell you what they are, they may go on the record, and this will be interesting to see when the book is over here, or maybe this chapter, I guess, is over, but <clears throat> their ability to rally around some forward guidance Forward guidance, meaning a common message to say, here's what we're going to do and making the market believe it. I mean, the market believes that they're going to raise interest rates next week and in December and every meeting coming forward. I mean, they have communicated that message and convinced everybody. So they're doing some things pretty well in spite of the fact that they may have gotten started late. Yeah, that's a good point. May have gotten started late, but they're playing the book now. They're writing the book, but they're looking at the book. And I think one of the best books they could be looking at is Volcker's track record. You know, he pivoted early, and we went right back into hyperinflation again and right back into a recession. And, and again, I think they're, it's good, they're concerned about that because you look at that, because this goes back really to, to the 80s, and this type of inflation, and that's the problem. You don't want to pivot too early. You don't want to play out your your plan and you're right the market seems to absorb this the consumers even absorb this yeah and and it's interesting you mentioned volcker i heard something the other day that i thought i hadn't really thought of it this way but volcker when he when he started that rate hike cycle i believe rates were around 10 percent. he got them up to about 20 right right so that's a, a good job yeah that's a 100 percent increase so now think about where we are with chairman powell right we started at 0.25 and next week we're likely to be at four percent that's 16 times. So this isn't a Volcker move. This is like Volcker on steroids yes, move. Right. I mean, yeah. it's it's amazing the um, the magnitude of the move we've already had. That's why people are scared. But it may still be that they got it right. We, we just don't know. Well, you know, when you go from that small of amount to this where we are, it seems so big, as mm-hmm. you say, and yet we were unprecedented with the small amount. It was, like it was. Weave that word in, you know? Yeah. And, it, you know, and that's what has really caused a lot of volatility in the bond market. This is, I mean, like Steve, I'm going to use unprecedented again, <laughs> even though it's not 2020, but this, this move, this rate hike is really unprecedented in the speed of it. Well, let me ask you this then, because I know questions, it's a big question for a lot of people. Is this like 2008 again? Will this will this be 2008 again? That's a legitimate question from a lot of people. It really goes back to Jeff's question: Should I liquidate my portfolio and my 401k and go to cash? I mean, obviously, there's a fear there. There's something going out in the horizon that's creating that, and we know. That's just not the thing to do in this type of environment. But why would somebody ask, you think about it, will 2008 happen again? Remember now, what I'm going at is inflation was was creeping up, moving, but unemployment went over 10%. Yeah, and, and I don't think the average person who's asking that question is probably thinking about unemployment or thinking about inflation. It's, it's something called recency bias, is my opinion. And that's the most recent real recessionary time that we had was 2008, right? I mean, that's the most recent one. COVID, I mean, we were all locked in the basement at home and the market was already recovering. It happened so fast. Right. But 2008 was, was big, but it's also the most recent. And, and so it's so hard to remember that there are a lot of recessions that are not like that. In fact, that was the worst one since the Depression. So it 
was unprecedented almost. Right. You know? yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think we see, at the moment, there is not a systemic risk that I have heard someone defend um, validly, in my opinion, that there is a 2008 type of thing out there. It certainly could present itself. But 2008, 2009, that was a banking, systemic banking crisis. And, I mean, you could actually argue that the tightness that banks are, are the, the regime that banks are regulated under might actually be adding to inflation because they can't, they can't distribute money the same way that they, um, they used to. So yeah, I, I just don't see the 2008 scenario at the moment. No, yeah, that's a good point. Let me ask, you have something, Scott, you want to say? No, I was just going to say, I agree with that. You know, with a recession like 08, there's some type of economic imbalance that needs to be corrected. It was the debt crisis. Then you go back to the tech bubble where, you know, the, the technology stocks had gotten a little overheated. And, uh, you know, we don't see any of that right now. Like what Steve said, unless it presents itself, because it always could, you know, when things get a little shaky, that's when you can start to see cracks in the foundation. But we really just don't see any economic imbalance like that in the system right now. We saw some getting overheated in some of the tech stocks, especially some of the mid-cap names. But a lot of that air has already been let out of the bubble. So that's kind of already happened to a certain degree. So, don't anticipate a 2008 type recession, but I would also follow that with saying, you know, we really don't know, but here's what we know from looking at history, that all recessions are temporary. Uh, it's painful when you're going through them, but we've always recovered and we always get back to doing what we do best, which is innovate and grow. So. That's a great point. I mean, just innovation and growth, and that, that is what makes it work. Yeah, and, and to that end, too, what's so interesting, uh, J.P. Morgan's done some work on this, and if you go back and look at the last eight recessions, going all the way back to like Eisenhower, the double dip recession in the 80s, stagflation in the 70s, the SNL crisis in the 90s, the uh, global, um, uh, the, the pandemic, um, the financial crisis that we're talking about 2008, 2009. What you always see, and this is what's so interesting, you see the market drops and about five to eight months later, GDP slows down, Earnings slows down, payrolls start to lag a little bit, and that's where the actual economic recession is. But you know where the market's going at that point? Up, up, back up. So right now, might I can't? I mean, obviously we can't predict the future, but right now, sure seems like it's setting up for recession to maybe set in early next year, a, a, probably a mild one based on most analysts and all the all that the table is set for that pattern to repeat. So back to your quest, the question, the Jeff's question. Don't jump out now. Right. You're already down twenty percent, and the table's set for history to repeat. I, it's a it's a good time to stay invested. And of course, past performance is not That's an right. indicator of future performance. But the reality is, history is history, and we we learn a lot from history, and we learn a lot from what the you know when you do an economic study of what was taking place at that time and comparing it to now. Here's a thought: stocks seems to have, as we say, I want to I want you to be careful. Bottomed out, maybe. Not, I'm going to use a word in a minute that I think a lot of people need to hear. Maybe there's some future further downturns. And, and some people might even say that next year may not be very, you know, it may be just a lot of headwinds, just a lot of stuff going on. And stocks may not grow at a pace that we're, we're seeing from historical returns and, and participants. So we, bottom line, we're saying past performance is not an indication of future performance. But there's a word, and that's capitulation. It's when everybody says, I'm done. And maybe Jeff feels that capitulation mm -hmm. mindset. What's your take on that? I'll start with you, Scott. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that's I've had some conversations with clients about this recently. I don't I don't know. Well, first of all, I don't think you always have to see full-blown capitulation, but I don't think we've seen full-blown capitulation yet. Although Steve brought up the sentiment numbers earlier. I don't think we've seen, aren't those the lowest since 09? Yeah. Um, or yeah. maybe even the lowest ever. I mean, the sentiment numbers are, are down a lot. Now, that doesn't mean we've seen a full-blown panic in the market. Um, you know, when you look at typical bear market recessions, you can get north of a 30% drop in the S&P 500, and we really haven't seen that big of a drop. But that being said, I think, again, going back to, you know, predicting the future is not something we can do. We can look at the situation right now and say, well, I don't know how close we are to the end, but we're, we've already taken a lot of the hit. You know, the, the market's already adjusted to a lot of the news in the economy and to the investor that's in the market. I just can't see where it would make any sense to try to get out or time the market at this point, derail their long-term strategy, knowing that we know historically sooner or later we will recover from this and get growing. And you got to be in the market during that recovery to catch it. And most of the time, if history history is any indication, it's going to happen pretty swiftly, at least that first leg up. Right. That's a good point. And missing that first leg up is the critical point. It can be detrimental. So capitulation is something that we don't particularly cherish, but we understand that that's usually a pretty – I mean, I remember – in 2009, I mean, uh, March, and uh, boy, I mean, the market just dropped. I mean, just went out of the bottom. Mm-hmm. And within two weeks, as you say, Scotty, within two weeks, it began to climb and never looked back. Right. And that's the fear that a lot of people need to be sensitive to. Which do you fear most, the bottom now or missing that climb up? Because when you get out, then you have to make that tough decision of getting back in. And, you know, you can get whipsawed sometimes, but the bottom line is just not not getting caught up with letting your emotions make your decisions is what I think we need to make sure. It's from Jeff's question. We've, we've really belabored Jeff's question a little bit, so I want to move to Tony's question because, guys. <laughs> I like Jeff's question. Jeff, Jeff had a great question. But it reminds you that if you've got a question, simply all you have to do is text it to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989. That's 901-683-0989. Or send it to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com. Just text Jim, J I M, to 6830989. Guys, here's, here's Tony's question. Now, I really appreciated his question because I think he's in a dilemma. He needs, he's retiring, he's needing to buy a Medicare supplement. He says, how do I shop for the best plan? Seems like if I respond to the mail, which I can see that you get tons of mail, and he's opening it up and it says, fill this form out and send it in. And he says, what I don't like about that is I only get one opinion. How do I make a good choice? Oh, yeah. And then worse than the mail one is, you know, if you go online, and you, you search something online, that'll follow you around oh, I mean, for forever. years. <laughs> You'll be, be selling you medical right. supplements until you're 92 years right. old. You know? It's very difficult. It I is. Mean, it's a it great is. question. It is a good question. And and um, for the, my first disclaimer would be I am not an expert in this field. We actually do have an expert in our office. Uh, we have two, Shannon Dyson and Claire Green, that, that specialize in this. But one of the things that I think is important to remember is, you know, a, a plan from XYZ Company, whether you buy it from you, Jim, me, Scott, this XYZ, the company selling that plan, it's the same no matter who you buy it from because that the, the price of that 
is published with the insurance commission, you know, and, and it is the price, right? So there's no like markup for working with an agent. So my advice would be work with someone and preferably in this area, I would say work with someone who has the opportunity to present you with several different companies. What I've seen in working with clients is sometimes what they'll do is they'll, they'll want to pick the cheapest one, obviously, because all the plans are standardized. That's the only the pricing that's different. So you know, a certain plan is going to give you X benefits. It's always that way. The price is different. So logically you'd think I'll get the cheap one, right? I mean, I'm just same thing, buy it cheaper. Well, the difference is sometimes those cheap ones, they have, a, those companies have a history of escalating those prices over time. And sometimes buying a different carrier that may be more expensive at first, if they have a history of holding their rates a lot more steady, long-term, that's a better better move. So all that to say, work with someone, work with someone because the, the commissions and the compensations all built into the pricing, work with someone who could present you with multiple different plans. And I think that's how, um, I think that's how you make the best decision. Yeah, I think this is one of those things. And we, we speak with clients all the time. And I, I do appreciate Shannon Dyson's and Claire Green's help on this because clients just get bombarded with oh, information. And, and it's so complex. I don't really know how anybody makes that decision on their own because there's so many things out there to choose from. There's so much information coming at you. And, and I like what Steve said. You know, it, it can be where you just want to get the cheapest one, but you don't understand that this is health insurance. The price is going to increase over no. time. And, you know, you need to get with a company that has a history of, of low price increases. The Part D plans also, those are, you know, they different companies treat different drugs differently. So it's good to have somebody that can take your list of medications and run those through the system and see what's the best option for you that way. Well, I think that's a good point. So again, let me just, I think I'll do just give the number. You're talking about Claire Green and, and Jen and Dyson. If you've got a question for them, and, and we don't do this a lot, but this is somebody you need to talk to. If you're trying to work through this process as you are right now, since we're under that particular window right now, and uh, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. Uh, Tony, I know if you're listening, we want to give you that number also. But uh, 901-757-5757. It is complicated. And it, right. it can get it can get to the point where you're almost frozen and not doing something. And then you just make a choice. And uh, you do. I think the good point is the, the fact that it does go up and continue to the pricing can change so dramatically. You need to know the history of the company. And, and, I, and I didn't mention, but, you know, the reason that's so important is, yes, you can change plans down the road. But it's guaranteed issue when you're when you're initially enrolling in Medicare. But to change your supplements later on, there are health questions you have to ask. So you may get. Uh, potentially stuck with the company that you picked early if, if you have a health change and you can't qualify to change your plan. So That's so critical, guys. So a great answer. I hope, Tony, we've helped you there. I hope, Jeff, we've <laughs> belabored his question. Here's a question that I, you know, and this, it, the whole idea was behind it and it's just come to us and the reality is the elections. What are we thinking about the elections? What does it do for us as the market is concerned? Talk to me. You know, I'll go with you. First of all, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, in all reality... Uh, the the outcome of the election itself is is probably a little bit of a nothing burger in terms of the market. Now, we, we, politics aside, right? But in terms of the market, um, I don't really think it's it's a huge deal. The, the one the one out. So uh, the assumption right now would be that Republicans take the House, the Senate's a toss up. But if the Republicans take the House, the one thing that could potentially happen is that there would be a little bit of a check on executive orders. Um, but the grand scheme of things, this is not a big market moving thing. Now, ironically, 
we were looking at some information before we came on. Um, First Trust put out a piece that shows going back to 1950, midterm elections. Since 1950, there has not been an 11-month post-return cycle that has not had a positive return. On average, it's 17.7%. So, um, it... I don't know. It may not matter. <laughs> I hope history repeats itself because history looks pretty good post midterms. Yeah. And of course, past performance does not give us an indication of future performance. But, you, you know, that's a great survey that goes back to 1950 and it tells us a lot from that standpoint. Well, I, and I would add to that, and I like Steve's data, and we, we've looked at that as well, and it is very uh, comforting to think that that may happen. But I think what I always caution people, don't let politics drive your long-term investment policy because at the end of the day, the market has done well under all regimes. Um, so I always tell people it's it's hard because you have different beliefs. You think a, a, a Particular politician is going to drive the market in a certain direction, but at the end of the day, we're in this for the long haul. You're going to go through a lot of elections, and don't let politics drive your investment policy. Well, if we've, I know, gone through a great, you guys have done a fabulous job. We've mentioned a couple of times the S&P 500 being the numbers we talked about. Of course, it's an unmanaged index to 500 large-cap stocks, and investors cannot invest in an index. I want to make sure that I share that with everybody. Thank you, guys. You've done a fabulous job. You always do. I think we've covered Jeff's question, and I hope we've covered Tony's question, and we've answered some other questions that we know clients ask, and that was today's program. Bottom line is we've talked about fundamentals. Stay in for the long haul. It's not so much that noise is going to drive you. Just be sure that you stay in the market for the long haul. I want to thank you guys again. Scott Jordan and Steve Anderson, if you'd like to talk to them, 757-5757. I want to thank my guest, uh, Sarah Foster, of course. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. And, of course, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. If you have questions, reminding you that just simply type J-I-M, Jim, to the text line 901-683-0989 or send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Next week, my guest, Greg Valliere, will give us a Washington update, and Daniel Irwin will be with us from the Better Business Bureau. It'll be going to scam school, as we always do with Daniel. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9. I want to thank my producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, and, of course, the compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening. We certainly appreciate it. We're here for you each and every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Steve Anderson, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.